Welcome to the Dinner Party Download. This is your icebreaker. There's a million drummer jokes. They all stink, and this one does too, but I think it stinks a little less than most. It's, how can you tell the drummer in a band? And the answer is, the one that had to pay a cover charge to go to his own gig. From 89.3 KPCC in Los Angeles, this is the Dinner Party Download, the show that gives you talking points and balmos to help you win your next dinner party. This week's icebreaker came from our guest of honor, author and New York Times columnist David Carr. We'll be speaking with him later, but first, as with any dinner party, we start off with small talk. You're going to be talking about the week's news at this weekend's party. Who better to tell you which news is worth bringing up than the people who report it? So we decided to speak with our colleagues over at Public Radio's business show, Marketplace. George Judson, managing editor of Marketplace. What story came across your desk this week that you are definitely going to be talking about at your dinner parties this weekend? John McCain's houses. Yesterday, two reporters asked him, how many houses do you own? He said, I'm not sure. I'll have my staff get back to you. Are you kidding? And when his staff got back to the reporters, they said, at least four. It turns out to be seven. And uh, I think people will be talking about what it's like to not know how many homes you have. Betsy Streisand, senior editor at Marketplace. What is going to be the story that uh, you keep in mind at the dinner party this weekend? My favorite story of the week is Candy Spelling. This is Tori Spelling's mother and Aaron Spelling's wife. Who is moving out of her 58,000 square foot house in LA that has a bowling alley into a 16,000 square foot, $47 million condo. Because Tori and Randy are gone now. She's an empty nester. She's an empty nester. She's downsizing. Patty Hirsch, senior editor at Marketplace, what story are you going to be talking about this weekend? Well, I think it's going to be the fact that America can't even stand up to Russia and it's allowing it to hang around in South Ossetia and and still threaten Georgia over the the next few weeks. What about that surprises you? Dude, we can't even put out the fires in Afghanistan. What are you talking about? It's true. But when you say we, you're talking about America, and I'm clearly not American. Kevin Arnovitz, you are the commentary editor here at Marketplace. Uh, the, the story today was that Hallmark is releasing gay, you know, greeting cards. Well, as a gay guy, I guess this is sort of notable. But my first thought was, now this makes me even feel worse about the fact that I'm incapable of a long-term relationship. <laughs> I, I want to embrace stereotypes for a second. Don't gay people have more taste than to buy a Hallmark card? Yes, we buy Eames furniture instead and just scribble on it. And now, time for cocktails. Once again, we tell you about something that happened this week in history, and afterwards we give you a fitting drink to serve along with it. It's our history lesson with booze. First, the history. 50 years ago this week, Vladimir Nabokov's novel Lolita was first published in America. Now the folks at your dinner party will probably know it's about a pedophile, and they'll know that it was controversial. Our friend Michelle Philippi tells us a few things they won't know. Americans are prudes. Europeans are progressive, right? Not when it came to Lolita. The book was first published in Paris, and it was the British who pitched a fit. A London newspaper called it the filthiest book of the year. England seized all imports of it and asked France to ban it too. In 1956, they did. Americans got their first look at Lolita two years later. By then, Elvis had debuted his swiveling hips on TV. Compared to that, the book was vanilla. Authorities didn't bat an eyelash. It sold 100,000 copies in three weeks. 
It also added a new word to the American lexicon, nymphit. Nymphit, Mr. Nabokov. Is this going to be your monument? Do you feel that you've accomplished <laughs> it something? It is a very small uh, monument, but it is pleasant to have. America didn't keep its mind open for long. In 1962, Stanley Kubrick directed his film version of Lolita. To avoid U.S. censorship, he shot it in England. So that's the history now for the booze to serve along with it. I'm speaking with Danielle Motor. She is talking to me from behind the bar at the fabulous Hungry Cat in Hollywood, California. And Danielle, serendipitously, I was in your bar the other night and you had created a special drink called the Lolita Haze, correct? That's right. So how did the book inspire the drink? Um, I was rereading Lolita and I came across a beautiful description of Humpert the main character eating a plum, and the way he described it made me want to taste one, and I uh, decided to make a cocktail with it. So it's Humbert who was eating the plum? Yeah, just before he met Lolita. Ah, so it is, it is the moment before falling into sin. Exactly. All right, and what's the actual alcohol component? Ginevra. That's a Dutch gin, right? Yeah, young Dutch gin. I see a young Dutch gin. Yeah, so that was kind of the key word. <laughs> um, so what, how is this thing made? So you take a plum, half a plum per drink, Muddle it with some mint, squeeze about half a lemon, three-quarter ounce of simple syrup and young gin. Shake it and serve it over ice, and that's it. It comes out really nice, I think. We should probably note that, like all alcoholic beverages, the Lolita Haze cannot legally be served to anyone underage. That's right. (laughs) And you can send us questions, comments, or... If you're over 21, expensive liquors. Our email is dinnerparty at kpcc.org. Our guest of honor this week is David Carr, the New York Times columnist and author of A Night of the Gun, a memoir about his struggle with crack addiction. Uh, David Carr, you also blog for the New York Times. You're a star of their online videos. Frankly, I think you're bringing a little bit of rock and roll to that paper, and I bet Paul Krugman hates your guts. Paul Krugman would not know me if I punched him in the nose, and (laughs) Frank Rich will say hi to me in the hall, but people always say, what is Maureen Dowd really like? I don't know. (laughs) Nobody knows who I am. All right. We have two questions on the show, and the first is, what question are you tired of being asked on interviews? Okay, everybody says, why did you write the book? Here's a hint. I've got two children of college age, and I work in a newspaper. So the fact that the muse landed near the time when college tuition will speak a little bit to my motivation. It doesn't mean that it's absolutely commercial in conception, only that need met inspiration, and that, yes, I just had them sign over the advance to two land-grant universities in the Midwest. Well, I admire your candor. Here at the Dinner Party Download, we don't really care about what people already know. Tell us something we don't know, something that you uh, you haven't told anyone throughout this tour and throughout all your writing. I am an incredibly impressive ping pong player. It's just something about it brings in the inner tiger in me. And you know what? It's not ping pong. It's table tennis, man. And if you break a sweat, it's a real sport. I'm not one of these nerds who like suits up for it, but I do sweat when I play it. Are you serious? Are you really a ping pong enthusiast? Do, do I have to kick your ass to prove it? Do we have to get up from here and go and find the nearest table? We, we might, I'm but... Not, I'm not just talking smack. I would 
humiliate you. And I don't care what, you know, tricked up serve you got from your beer pong days or what special secret way you have of holding a paddle. Nothing but red mist on the other side of the table once I step up. And I'm not joking. Red mist. Exceedingly disturbing. I know. I didn't occur to me till I left, but that is so gross. <laughs> <laughs> if this is all going by too fast for you, by the way, you can catch up by downloading our cheat sheet. It's on our website. Go to kpcc.org, click on Off Ramp, and you can find us there. Ping pong, Hong Kong, King Kong, sing song. Please put on your avatar mask, our game is underway. Please put on your avatar mask, our game is underway. So we've met our guest of honor, and now it's time for our main course, the part of the show where we learn about food. And this week, there was scandal at a venerable food institution, the magazine Wine Spectator. Venerable? Yes, old, that means. Oh, okay. They give annual awards for best wine restaurant, and this year, a New York food critic made up a fake restaurant, submitted a fake menu to the competition, and it won. It's probably the same restaurant I got reservations to. The only one that would seat you? The one that you created in your brain? <laughs> exactly. Anyway, you can hear an interview with that critic on our website. But what caught our imagination here is the idea of defrauding wine snobs. So I headed up the street from our offices to Silver Lake Wine, and I asked co-owner Randy Clement a burning question. How do I do that? What are some of the things that I can drop at a dinner party where even a wine expert like yourself would go, hey, this guy really knows what he's talking about when in fact secretly I don't? First off, the fact that they got defrauded is totally awesome and actually I, one of the coolest things that I've heard of in a long time. But we always tell people like the most important skill you can ever have and it'll, it'll work every time is if you can read the wine label so what info should i be able to glean from the label um i mean this is kind of you know this is kind of cool if it comes from a hot area california or argentina or chile generally speaking those wines will probably be richer and fuller because the grapes will theoretically ripen more because of the climate if it comes from a cooler area that wine, generally speaking, won't be as rich and heavy just because there's not that heat. All right, so learn to figure out stuff like that from the label. That's long term. But what about tonight? What do I talk about so the wine snobs think I'm, you know, one of them? Probably the thing right now all people are talking about is Argentinian Malbec. Malbec is usually from the area called Mendoza, very kind of premier wine growing area. The exchange rate is still favorable, so there's a lot of wine to be had for not quite as much money as European wines. Generally pretty rich, crowd pleasing. That's where the buzz is. So this is the stuff that like Prince is drinking right now? I don't know. Maybe I, I thought that dude was an AA. By the way, we can neither confirm nor deny that rumor, but it's safe to say Prince does seem pretty obsessed with purple liquids. And that's the Dinner Party download for this week. Thanks to Delassie Michellis for helping us set the table. And thanks, as always, to John Raby and Queen of Kim. You should check out their show, Off Ramp. You'll find it and us kpcc.org. We leave you, as always, with One for the Road, a song to play on your way to or departing from this weekend's dinner party. Emmett Rhodes sings Bubblegum the Blues. He sounds like a modern-day guy imitating Paul McCartney. He's a guy from the 70s imitating Paul McCartney. Bon appetit. You do the laundry, you do the laundry, I'm gonna hop you a laundry song. You do the cooking, honey, and I'll walk the dog. You go to market, you go to market, and I'll try to behave while you're gone. Feed the kitten, darling, and I'll move along. i
Galliano. And I'm Brendan Noonan. You've overstayed your welcome. Please leave. <laughs>